Whether you host a nightly dinner party for two or five, keeping your eating and dining area clean helps keep your mind on the dinner party and not on the cleanup afterwards. Viva paper towels clean like cloth, trapping splatters and sauces that could become countertop stains or stuck on messes. And they're two times more durable when wet compared to the leading value brand. For an exceptional cloth-like paper towel, there's Viva. Visit vivatowels.com to soak up the clean feeling of home. And you're on right now with Jim Dawes. Coming to you on the Mojo 5 Radio Network. Bringing you the news behind the news. The story behind the story. Here to convince you the reality is usually scoffed at and illusion is usually king. But in the battle for the survival of this nation, it's going to be reality and not illusion or delusion that will determine the future. Coming to you live on iHeartRadio and on demand on your favorite podcast directories. Follow me on Twitter at RightNowJimDawes. Shoot me an email at RightNowJimDawes at gmail.com. Or call the vent line and leave your rant at 772-245-0750. That's 772-245-0750. Friday, Friday. Thank God it's Friday. What a week. So Washington is all a Twitter <laughs> uh, because the president is saying uh, is, is refusing to answer whether or not he is going to throw in the towel as soon as the Democrats and the media mouthpieces uh, declare that Joe Biden has the votes to win it. He's uh, he's expected to commit that just as soon as the media masters and uh, and social media titans declare that Joe Biden is the winner, that that's supposed to be the end of it. And he's got to uh, agree to leave the White House. Well, of course, Donald Trump don't play that. And he's not, he's not uh, 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 you know, committing without knowing what's going to happen to, uh, to stepping out of the White House as soon as the, uh, the Deep state and the media and the Democrats all decide that uh, Joe Biden has won this election. The question was put to him by Brian Kareem, the most loathsome of the White House uh, reporters, how he has credentials with the way he has behaved, for that matter, uh, April Ryan or Jim Acosta either, is unbelievable. Apparently, the courts have decided that. Uh, you're not allowed to enforce any sort of standards of decorum on the White House press corps. And uh, if you do that, then you are somehow violating their First Amendments. Never mind that those news organizations are perfectly entitled to send another representative up there. But here's what it sounded like when Brian Kareem, who claims to be a reporter for Playboy magazine, which I think now has a... a, a a lower circulation than a, a typical small town newspaper. Ask him the question. Win, lose, or draw in this election. Will you commit here today for a peaceful transferal of power after the election? A master of words, a transferal of power. Transition of power is the word he's looking for. 
and there has been rioting in Louisville, there's been rioting in many cities across this country, red and your so-called red and blue states, will you commit to making sure that there is a peaceful transfer of power after the election? He's sitting there pointing his finger at the president while he's asking this question in, in, a, in a very accusatory manner, as if he's some sort of inquisitor. And here is the president's response. Well, we're going to have to see what happens. You know that I've been complaining very strongly about the ballots, and the ballots are a disaster. I and, understand that, but and, people are rioting. Do you oh, commit to making sure that... So people are rioting, so you have to agree that as soon as we figure out a way to declare Joe Biden the winner, you, uh, you agree to step aside. I mean, that's what this is all about. They're putting together their uh, cheat-by-mail schemes, their ballot-harvesting schemes, they had this situation in North Carolina that's really unbelievable. The, the Democrat Party engineered a so-called settlement agreement, a, a consent decree between uh, Democrat plaintiffs and, and the Democrat administration, governor, governor and uh, elections board, to basically implement the same sort of ballot harvesting schemes that they had in Orange County, California in 2018 where they roll into election night, they figure out how many votes they need to manufacture in order to overcome their, uh, uh, the Republicans margin of victory. And then they go about generating, um, mail in ballots. And in, uh, North Carolina, the Democrat elections board, I think it has six Democrats and two Republicans agreed to a settlement with the Democrat party to allow the ballots to be continued to be counted for nine days, not to have to have any sort of, uh, identification, uh, matching on these ballots, no signature matching or anything like that. Um, they, they can be collected <clears throat> without a postmark after the election. They, they can just be, bundled up and dropped off in collection points. And this is basically a steal. And it's been, it's been engineered by none other than a guy named Mark Elias, who is one of the lead attorneys over there at Perkins Coey, the same Perkins Coey that hired Fusion GPS and then hired Christopher Steele, who then hired a, uh, a, a Russian with strong ties to the Russian, uh, uh, GRU to generate disinformation on Donald Trump that was paid for by the Hillary Clinton campaign. The same Perkins Coey, the same Mark Elias that used a, a fictitious disinformation campaign generated by the Republican, I mean, generated by the uh, Russian intelligence agencies is now over in North Carolina. Well, he's all over the country. But in North Carolina, he pulled off just basically a coup. Here is a uh, a sound uh, bite on that. It's actually uh, two minutes long. It's from the John Locke Foundation about what what they pulled off in North Carolina. Mark Elias, the high-profile Democrat operative with a law license who represented the 2016 Clinton campaign and has been at the center of the discredited Steele dossier, just filed a lawsuit in Wake County. I guess I should have set this up better. This is actually before 
this details the uh, the complaint uh, before the Democrat Elections Board agreed to this, basically everything that the uh, the complaint asked for. If successful, it would essentially legalize ballot harvesting and force North Carolina taxpayers to foot the bill. Representing several North Carolina voters, Elias speculates that coronavirus could make in-person voting in November too dangerous. Therefore, the state's current rules for absentee ballots are just too restrictive. The Elias suggested fix is for North Carolina to accept absentee ballots up to nine days following the election without a witness signature, without current voter signature matching, and this, which is really important. I quote, where a ballot does not bear a postmark date, requiring the state to presume that the ballot was mailed on or before election day. Let me translate this into political power grab language. North Carolina is crucial for the presidency, the U.S. Senate, and the state legislature. Let's say there's a close race in a Senate legislative district or the U.S. Senate. We get all the results on Election Day. Now, if their candidate comes up short, they use their data and these new rules, giving them nine days and no postmark necessary to ballot harvest however many votes they need to change the outcome. And they're using COVID-19 as their justification. That's exactly the model that they perfected in Orange County, California in 2018. Going into the uh, uh, election night, all of those seats, those congressional seats in Orange County were remaining in Republican hands. But after they saw the margin of the Republican victory... They got to work on their new ballot harvesting schemes and and flipped every one of those seats, every single one. The really sad thing about what happened in North Carolina is apparently the GOP didn't even put up a fight. They just allowed the Democrats to steal the election right out from under their nose. And unless something's done to reverse this consent decree, and I'm not sure anything can be done, then you can just go ahead and write off North Carolina. The very least that should have been done is the Republican Party should have weighed in uh, as an intervener to prevent any sort of settlement that didn't protect the interests of their voters. It's really unbelievable what's happened. The two... Uh, Republican members of the Board of Elections say that they were hoodwinked, that the Democrat Attorney General misrepresented what was likely to happen if they didn't agree to the settlement, and they they have now uh, resigned from the board. It's a little too late, but um, we're going to see whether or not the Republicans really have their act together as far as their ability to fight back against this stuff, because they're going to, uh, this, this settlement is going to have to be taken to the court and, and agreed to, and they need to, uh, to be moving heaven and earth to try to intervene in that case. The way this thing is shaping up is, uh, the media is generating all of these bogus polls, 
saying that Joe Biden is winning. Then they're going into these swing states like North Carolina and Michigan and Nevada and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, and they're putting in their vote harvesting schemes. On November 3rd, it'll be apparent that Donald Trump has won these elections, but social media will be suppressing any news of that, and the mainstream media will be refusing to report on it. And then the ballot harvesting will uh, crank up and they'll figure out how many votes they need. And that's how many votes they'll generate, plus a few extras just to make it not look so suspicious. And all the while, they will keep telling us, oh, there's no evidence of voter fraud. That's a myth. No evidence. They'll stick to that narrative that incidents of ballot harvesting and voter fraud are just some boogeyman conjured up by Republicans to suppress the vote or disenfranchise poor minorities or something like that. They'll ignore what happened just yesterday in Texas where four people were arrested in a ballot harvesting scheme in Harris County, that's home of Houston. County Commissioner Shannon Brown was arrested with Marla Jackson, Charlie Burns, and Dwayne Ward. Brown was charged with 50 or 23 felonies. Jackson, Marlena Jackson, also a, a commissioner in Harris County, racked up 97 felony charges. And this is exactly what they did. They went out after the uh, election and they, they ginned up as many votes as they needed, plus five, to, uh, to carry the election in Harris County. We're going to run out to a break. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Between prepping ingredients, setting the table, and planning your tomorrow, sometimes you need an extra hand with dinner. Delta Faucet is here to help. Just ask your connected home device to fill your pasta pot with Delta Faucet Voice IQ technology and fill it with the perfect amount of water. Done. Visit deltafaucet.com slash voice IQ to see how Voice IQ can fill your dog's bowl, wash your hands, and more. So I got to say, I'm pretty proud of Louisville, Kentucky. This is the second night in a row where they've had um, Black Lives Matter and Antifa paid uh, agitators and rioters out on the streets. They're trying to whip up the same sort of unrest that you see in Portland and Seattle. And uh, they, <laughs> the authorities in Kentucky are having none of it. They've got the, uh, they've canceled all uh, leave for the Louisville Metro Police. The state police have been added in, plus National Guard. And uh, and they have, early in the evening, as soon as any sort of unrest broke out, been uh, making hundreds of arrests. And they're not turning them right back out on the street like they like, they like to do in these uh, Soros-run district attorney's offices. And as a result, uh, the, the violence has been fairly minimum. Now, there's been some sporadic violence where you've had these idiots uh, try to incite riots. Last night, somebody broke a window at the, uh, the main branch of the library in Louisville and threw a, a, a flare inside trying to set the library on fire. Book burners on the left. But they've had much more success in 
in uh, restarting the riots out in Portland and Seattle. Night before last, a uh, a, a rioter threw a, a, a huge Molotov cocktail into a crowd of police officers or a, a bunch of police officers that were uh, doing crowd control. They found the guy and they arrested him for attempted murder, which it most certainly was because if that Molotov cocktail had landed uh, close enough to a police officer to splash him with it, he probably would have burned to death. So he was arrested on charges of attempted murder and arson. And lo and behold, the Soros-funded DA immediately dropped the uh, attempted murder and the arson charge and left only the one for riot, and he was uh, immediately turned around and released. There was a Brianna Taylor riot that sprang up out in Los Angeles, and uh, there's interesting video uh where a, a driver of a, a Prius, of all things, finds himself surrounded by this mob and does exactly what he's supposed to do. He refuses to stop, just proceeds, uh, you know, not fast enough to prevent anybody from getting out of his way, but um, uh, at a speed that shows that uh, he is not about to stop. The crowd pretty much parts and allows him along the way, uh, his way, which would have been great. But then a, uh, a pickup truck pursues him along with a bunch of screaming leftists running behind him. And the pickup truck pulls in front of the Prius and the Prius stops. Now, I mean, and then the driver of the pickup truck jumps out and starts reaching inside the Prius, assaulting the driver. Now, two things should have happened there. He started out doing pretty well. He refused to stop and proceeded along his way. But when that truck pulled in front of him and stopped, he should have immediately thrown it in reverse and, uh, and dro- driven around the pickup truck. Especially after the driver of the pickup truck jumped out and reached inside, he should have, he should have done that immediately. Instead, he allowed his, uh, himself to be assaulted and his, a vehicle to be uh, destroyed, damaged severely. I tell you what, if if some guy had done that to me and reached inside uh, the car, I would have assumed that he meant to uh, to kill me or severely injure me, and uh, he would have been left laying in the road. Down here in Florida, I, I covered earlier, In the week, uh, the law that Governor DeSantis is proposing that um, makes it a class three felony to uh, engage in these kinds of riots, harassing police officers, blocking roadways, tearing down monuments, all of those things will now be classified as a felony. One of the provisions of that law that I didn't take note of and mention was that it protects drivers that are fleeing mobs that feel are reasonably in fear, uh, and it relieves them of liability for any injuries or damage that the uh, the the protesters, the rioters may suffer as a result of the driver having to flee uh, the scene. They were out on the highways in Chicago last night where the census cowboy that uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot was bragging so much about 
uh, rode his horse up onto the Dan Ryan Expressway and then galloped the horse on the concrete interstate for seven and a half miles. Now, the the horse was not did not have shoes on for this. There are really no shoes that would make it okay for a horse to gallop on a concrete roadway. You can have uh, shoes that will allow them to to trot. But this this guy took this horse at a full gallop for seven and a half miles before he uh, stopped and was arrested by police. The animal welfare agency uh, took custody of this horse, a beautiful Palomino that this idiot had uh, had gotten hold of and said that uh, the horse is unlikely to recover. It's uh, severely damaged its uh, shins and hooves and may very well have to be put down. This is Lori Lightfoot's Census Cowboy, he calls himself the Dreadhead Cowboy. It's a really a disgusting situation. If you hear this guy talk, you can tell he's got the mentality of about a 12-year-old child. Uh, he has uh, apparently got developmental issues and never should have uh, been allowed to uh, to have custody of this horse. Well, we're closing in on the announced date of the first of three presidential debates. And um, for his part, Joe Biden is hunkered down in his basement. They say he is preparing for his debate. I uh, I, I still believe that this thing is not going to happen. I think they're going to at some point declare that he is unwell or that Donald Trump has uh, has done something so bad that uh, it just would not be right for Joe Biden to debate him. And every time uh, Joe Biden is allowed to speak off of teleprompter, he says something ridiculous, like claiming that uh, um, Edison did not invent the light bulb or 150 million people have been killed in gun violence in the last 10 years or that 200 million people have died from the coronavirus. I really hope that these debates go forward, but I, I'm, I'm just not ready to believe it, that it will. The only question in my mind is what excuse is he going to use to withdraw from the debates? And of course he's going to have to blame it on Donald Trump. So maybe he'll say that, because Donald Trump hasn't agreed to uh, submit to the Democrats' vote harvesting schemes, that uh, it would be uh, wrong to legitimize le- legitimize his presidency or some some silly shit like that. But uh, you can imagine that the mental strain on Joe Biden, who who is not able to p- speak publicly under the best of circumstances these days is uh, really starting to get to him and even become debilitating. He's sitting in his basement and he's looking at the specter of going up against Orange Man Bad. 
And I would imagine that every day, this is his second day with a lid on his campaign, his handlers become more and more uh, aware that debating, uh, sending Joe Biden out to debate Donald Trump is going to end up to be an absolute disaster. We're going to run out to a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the Bill Barr uh, looking at sedition charges against these writers and the organizers right after these messages on Right Now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo 5 Radio Network. Stick with us. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. And you're back on Right Now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo Five O Radio Network. A daily journal of news, politics, and culture from an American nationalist perspective. Ryan Parker, you can find him on Twitter at Ryan P. Songs. Andrew Breitbart famously said that politics is downstream from culture. And on the right, we have a very uh, sparse offering when it comes to popular music and and uh, movies and such. And we've got to take every opportunity we have to cultivate it. And this guy is great. You need to follow him on, on Twitter, on Facebook, every place you can, and you need to share him. And the Trump campaign needs to get off their butts and bring this guy in as the warm-up act for Trump's rallies. Here's a Rolling Stone parody from Ryan Parker. I saw Joe Biden on television Saying things I hardly understand I don't think he can make decisions He's a puppet for the people with the plan I saw the Black Lives Marxist demonstration Where black police were taking some abuse As white and Tifa punk showed their frustration Do they realize they're being used? You can't always get globalism Socialism, you can't always get communism. But if you use your mind, well, you just might find Trump's watching me. I went down to the local drugstore to get my chloroquine prescription fixed. I was standing in line with Dr. Fauci. 
Parker on Twitter at Ryan P songs, man, they got to get him in, in, uh, in these rallies. So let's, let's talk about one of the revelations of the week with Hunter Biden, the, uh, the Senate committee on Homeland security and the Senate committee on finances put out a report that detailed just the depth of corruption of Hunter Biden. The, uh, the Democrats and their media have quick, uh, were quick to dismiss it, saying it showed no wrongdoing on behalf of Joe Biden, as if we're all supposed to pretend that all of these millions of dollars that were th- thrown at Joe Biden's coke-addicted son, Hunter, weren't really intended as a bribe to Joe Biden when he was vice president of the United States. You might remember back, um, I guess it's been about four or five months ago, Fox News reporter Peter Ducey asked Joe Biden about Hunter's business dealings. And Joe Biden claimed that I have never, quote, I have never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings. Really? He went on, he said, I know Trump deserves to be investigated. He's violating every basic norm of a president. You should be asking him why he's on the phone with a foreign leader trying to intimidate a foreign leader. You should be looking at Trump. And of course, that's exactly what the Democrats playbook was. When Donald Trump started trying to get to the bottom of Joe Biden's corruption in the Ukraine, while his son was on the board of Burisma collecting three and a half million dollars, they, uh, they turned around and impeached him. Well, now in this 87 page report that, uh, Ron Johnson's Homeland security committee has generated, they show that, uh, he also took three and a half million dollars from the widow of the former mayor of Moscow. Now, let me tell you something. You don't become mayor of Moscow in Putin's Russia without having close ties to the Kremlin. So you would think that it might be of some interest to the media that Hunter Biden, the son of the Democrat nominee, is taking $3.5 million from the richest woman in Russia when he had really nothing to offer in return for that. They're not even asking, what what was that $3.5 million for? And then, (laughs) as if that's not enough, just to add a, a salacious angle to it that the media would normally be very interested in pursuing. Hunter Biden turned around and gave big sums of that to uh, uh, Russian hookers in America who then wired it back to Russia to, uh, to traffic more Russian hookers over to the United States. <sighs> That's on top, of course, of the $1.5 billion 
investment into his startup energy firm that he took from the Communist Bank of China. I mean, you wonder how these so-called reporters can uh, can have any sort of self-respect calling themselves reporters while turning a blind eye to this level of corruption. He's taken money from Russians. He's taken money from Chinese. He's taken money from Ukrainians, Kazakhs. All over the globe, Hunter Biden, as well as uh, Joe Biden's brother James and sister Sarah, have raked in the dough while Joe Biden has been portraying himself as Lunch Bucket Joe. <laughs> Lunch Bucket Joe lives in the former DuPont mansion, one of the largest private residences in the state of Delaware, which has, I promise you, a lot of very large mansions. A $3 million beach house in Rehoboth Beach and a $4.7 million mansion outside of Washington, D.C., tells us that he sees the world from Scranton, PA, where he left when he was about 10 years old. <sighs> Pretty amazing. At um, a recent White House press briefing, um, One American News Network's reporter, White House correspondent, Chanel Rion, asked the press secretary this. Yes. Chanel. Thank you, Kaylee. Yesterday, the Senate released an 87-page report on Hunter Biden and Joe Biden's dealings across the board with Ukraine and with Russia. Um, Specifically, it showed Hunter Biden supporting Russian prostitution, human trafficking, receiving $3.5 million from Moscow. Question to you is, does the White House have any intention of helping the DOJ should an investigation be opened up on the Bidens? And number two, do you have a response to Rudy Giuliani yesterday telling us that um, this should immediately disqualify Joe Biden from his candidacy? Yeah, it was, that was a very troubling report. You know, I'll leave it to the DOJ as to how they move forward. Um, but, I mean, I think this New York Post cover uh, says it all. You know, I heard so much about Russia collusion, uh, but it appears the only uh, collusion going on was between Hunter Biden as he accepted $3.5 million uh, from the wife um, of the Moscow mayor. Very troubling indeed. And in addition to that, Ukraine money as well. Um, and it's good that the Senate looked into that. Well, you would think that uh, some enterprising reporter would look up Hunter Biden and say, what'd you do for that $3.5 million that you turned around and then put into human trafficking schemes, Hunter? No, 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 no. They're busy attacking Trump, and Trump can't keep his his uh, powder dry long enough to even let uh, that, that uh, news marinate in the news cycle. We're going to run out to a break. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Whether you have your own bathroom or you share one with your family, a little extra help keeping the bathroom sink, counter, and mirror clean goes a long way. And Viva Paper Towels are for the long haul. 
They're two times more durable when wet compared to the leading value brand. And they clean like cloth, helping you keep the surfaces in your bathroom dry and fingerprint and toothpaste free. For an exceptional bathroom clean, there's Viva Paper Towels. Visit vivatowels.com to learn more. So much depends on this president being reelected. You know, we've got the Durham investigations ongoing. If uh, if Joe Biden wins, then all of those will be shelved, and no nobody will be held to account for the wrongdoing that went on at the FBI and the CIA, where they spied on the opposing party's presidential campaign and then used the information that was ginned up by the opposing campaign to try to cripple an incoming presidency. Another thing that won't happen is nobody will be held to account for these riots that have been organized in cities across the United States, funded by an interlocking network of so-called nonprofits with George Soros sitting at the, the top of the pyramid. In a conference call last week, Attorney General Bill Barr urged federal district uh, federal prosecutors uh, in the various districts to be aggressive in filing charges against these uh, anti-American ra- radicals that are rioting in the streets. They've been attacking government buildings, law enforcement officers. And uh, Bill Barr recommended that they consider filing con- uh, sedition conspiracy charges against these people. Of course, that immediately resulted in howls of protest from the left where so-called legal experts warned that the sedition laws are rarely used and could be difficult to prove in court and potentially run up against First Amendment protections. Well, yeah, those statutes have been rarely used because rarely have domestic organizations engaged in violence against the United States government. Now, they're not being um, prosecuted for talking about violence against the government. They're being prosecuted for organizing and executing violence against the government. The left's arguments are the same ones that uh, were, uh, were trotted out back when the blind shake bombed the World Trade Center back in 1993. The, uh, the sedition conspiracy statute, which is probably poorly named because the the term sedition doesn't actually appear in the text of the, the code was enacted uh, by Congress during the civil war and mainly uh, meant to deal with Confederate sympathizers in the free States who were sabotaging the union war effort. And uh, you know, they're right to point out that it's rarely used, but that's not because it's an especially difficult crime to prove and they're most certainly engaging in sedition when they attack federal courthouses and federal officers. The reason is, is because (laughs) there just haven't been that many examples of people actually engaging in sedition. The notion of prosecuting sedition is, uh, is somehow, uh, a taboo 
I think it's because of the 18th century Alien and Sedition Acts that uh, I think it was John Adams used to try to punish his political enemies. Sort of got a bad name back then, but uh, sedition is a real thing, and it is being carried out in American streets. And Bill Barr is right uh, to start arresting some of these organizers. They showed up in Louisville with a um, a U-Haul trailer full of their their uh, riot gear, including signs, shields, weapons. So the 1619 Project over at the New York Times has come under a lot of scrutiny now that the president has taken note and empowered a so-called 1776 commission to, uh, to push back on it. And now all of a sudden, the New York Times is scrubbing its site that originally described the New York, the uh, 1619 project as framing the founding of America, not in 1776, but in 1619 as a, uh, as the, anniversary when the first slaves were brought to the United States. The, uh, the website used to say, let's find it. Um, the 1619 project is a major initiative from the New York times observing the 400th anniversary of the beginning of American slavery. It aims to reframe the country's history, understanding that 1619 as our true founding and placing the consequences of slavery and the contributions of black Americans at the very center of our national narrative. Well, they've scrubbed that passage because it's been debunked and knocked down by historians on the left and the right. And they've replaced it with the 1619 project as an ongoing initiative from the New York times that began in August, 2019, the 400th anniversary of the beginning of American slavery It aims to reframe the country's history by placing the consequences of slavery and the contributions of black Americans at the very center. So it's no longer the the founding of the nation, of course, because uh, they're they're changing it and uh, doing a little bit of their own revisionist history because that narrative is not standing up. Let's see. There was another story related to that. Oh, yeah. Black Lives Matter is also busy scrubbing uh, their website of the pro-Marxist language. Writing over at the American Thinker, Sylvia Canto uh, says he's surprised it took this long. The uh, the BL, actually he's quoting Jason Whitlock in BLM's "What We Believe" page. It originally exposed the movement's heavy Marxist influence. The page called for the uh, disruption of the nuclear family. It said, "We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another, especially our children to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. That's a, you may recognize that from it takes a village, Hillary Clinton. It was her book. She wrote back in the nineties. 
Well, it's also a deeply Marxist concept. Lemmy Emmons at the Post Millennial summarized uh, the BLM agenda, writing that it espouses Marxist principles of communal children and the demise of the family structure over American ideals of individualism and family unity. What continues to amaze, writes Canto, is that this information was on their website during all of these riots and violence, yet no one in the media ever asked anything about the people behind BLM or what all of, the, all of those state statements meant. You remember the uh, back in 2010, how they were characterizing the Tea Party movement, who were basically a bunch of middle-aged people concerned about uh, the ridiculous increase in the national debt who always conducted themselves peacefully and with decorum. They were all over them trying to frame them as a radical movement, trying to figure out ways to tie them to white supremacists. Did you see any of that kind of curiosity from the mainstream media when it came to Black Lives Matter or now with uh, Antifa? Oh, no, 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 no. You don't get any of that. (laughs) The, uh, the leftists over at The Nation magazine have um, figured out that the feds have uh, been capturing uh, cell phone conversations in Portland and Seattle as well as other places. Now, these, uh, the, all of these uh, electronic surveillance was, uh, uh, was uh, authorized by a warrant. But the nation is now raising the alarm that uh, a lot of these conversations between the street-level organizers and the, uh, the paymasters are probably on tape and uh, hopefully will lead to more, um, more of these sedition charges against the organizers of these, uh, these riots. So Dr. I think it's Tony Atlas, he's been brought aboard the White House Coronavirus Task Force uh, to try to bring some sort of uh, objectivity to it and uh, uh, sort of calm down the heated rhetoric from Anthony Fauci, who on any given day of the week will tell you that uh, we have to stop shaking hands because of the coronavirus, but we can continue to have sex with strangers that we meet on Tinder. He'll tell you one day that masks don't work, and then a few months later he'll tell you that it is the most effective tool we have to prevent the spread of coronavirus. He'll tell you that the vaccine will be safe and effective, and then he'll tell you that we may never have a vaccine. So I've got a clip here. It's kind of a long clip, but uh, I think we have time for it. You won't hear a lot from Tony Atlas on the mainstream media, and I think it's a a good opportunity to hear some clear thinking and truth on this issue. 
policy. You had 60,000 cases yesterday. Do you have any sense, or does the task force have any sense of what is driving that? That's the highest level in six weeks. Why are we still seeing cases at this level? Yeah, well, I mean, there, there are several things to look at, but the case metric is not the most important metric. The most important metric are the following. Hospitalizations per day are coming down. Deaths per day are coming down. Number of people in the hospital is 47% lower than it was since its peak. The number of people sick with COVID illness coming to the emergency room is 1.6%, as the president said, the lowest number since the pandemic began. All of these trends are positive. The cases per se are defined by tests. If I tested a million people, I would see more cases. The only thing that counts are the, the, the problems with the cases. So when we see that hospitalization... Testing was always a scam. You remember at the beginning of this crisis, the Democrats knew where this was going. They were going to try to take this pandemic. And they wanted to gin up as many positive test results as they possibly could. Testing, 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 they kept saying. That's what we have to do. We have to do testing. And sadly, the president fell for it. Testing really doesn't provide you anything but a snapshot in history of a lot of people that uh, will never show any symptoms. But, you know, the more testing you will have, you have the more positives you will have. And so the Democrats wanted to gin up as many numbers that they could uh, hurl at the president as possible per day are coming down. People are not dying as much. These are all very positive trends, and that's exactly what we want to see. Dr. Atlas, Go ahead. Dr. Atlas, Dr. Atlas, is there any bad blood between you and Dr. Deborah Burks? No, I saw the story in uh, really a, a super journalism story. Uh, Dr. Burks speaks for herself, but that, that's a completely false story, and she denied it today. So, it's, been, I mean, it's, it's completely it's, false. It's been it's seven, it's been when do you expect a vaccine? Yeah, so this is a, a very important uh, question. The, the vaccine is proceeding uh, at an extremely rapid pace, as we know. Everything's being done simultaneously so that the logistics and the uh, technology in place to deliver it is ready to go, as everyone knows. And it depends on the data, okay? The, the data is being monitored by an external group of experts called the Data Safety Monitoring Board. And when we have enough cases, that when they see enough cases that have shown a statistically significant difference, they will tell the company, and then the company will say, look at it and say, yes, we have it, and we think that that has a good chance of happening in October. Just to follow, you did say that last week in this room, pretty much the same thing, but you said it could be... It's the truth, that's why. I understand, but I want to clear it up because you said it could be as late as January, it could be after the election, that there's no clear-cut time, and that's what I want to make sure that... that Is he too stupid to formulate a, a, a relevant question, or does he really not understand what was just saying there? He's saying that uh, the vaccine could be available as early as October, depending on what the data uh, results of the trials say, and it could be after the election. Not terribly complicated. I guess he just wants to get more face or mask time on TV. 
You're saying this is now. the current thinking uh, that I have been told. I'm not in charge of the vaccine development. I'm relaying information. And what I've been told is exactly what I said. And there will be 100 million plus doses available by the end of this year. It is highly likely we will have a vaccine before the end of the year. And it is also likely that we will say the data is good. We have the vaccine. And then it will be submitted, of course, for approval and authorization sometime in October but it depends on the on the data. No one can really say with certainty when it's coming. That's just impossible. I don't see the data until the data happens. Dr. Dr. Redfield today said that more than 90% of the population remains susceptible to coronavirus. Do you agree with that assessment? Yeah, I think that Dr. Redfield uh, misstated something there. And so the re- misstated last time. And I'm gonna answer Are you going to let him answer the question? Oh, no, he said something I disagree with. i got to start drowning him out. Good question. If you let me finish. Uh, the, the data on susceptible that he was talking about was his uh, surveillance data that showed that roughly 9% of the country has antibodies. But when you look at the CDC data state by state, much of that data is old. Some of it goes back to March or April before many of these states had the cases. That's point number one. Point number two is that the immunity to the infection is not solely determined by the percent of people who have antibodies. If you look at the research, and there's been about 24 papers at least on the immunity from T-cells. That's a different type of immunity than antibodies. And without being boring... T-cells, that's the reason that the young people are not susceptible to this because they have strong T-cell immunity. It's a real shame. This, uh, This virus was the perfect virus to protect the vulnerable and allow the rest of the population to develop a herd immunity that would then protect everybody. But that's not the way Dr. Fauci engineered it in concert with his uh, his paymaster, Bill Gates. Well, that takes us to the end of another week of Right Now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo 5.0 Radio Network. I want to thank you for joining us and invite you back here again Monday right here on Mojo 5.0. Stick with us. Need an extra hand with dinner? Just ask your connected home device to fill your pasta pot, and Delta Faucet Voice IQ technology will fill it with the perfect amount of water. Visit deltafaucet.com slash voice IQ to discover more. Need an extra hand with dinner? Just ask your connected home device to fill your pasta pot, and Delta Faucet Voice IQ technology will fill it with the perfect amount of water. Visit deltafaucet.com slash voice IQ to discover more.